It seems that no matter where you look, there's pop culture news flying around everywhere. But how can you keep up so you're ready to roll when a new episode of the Popcast comes out? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was one place where you could go to get all the news you want? Then boy do I have good news for you, because Flipboard is here to help. Flipboard curates the world's stories so you can be smarter in your work, life, and play. Choose from thousands of topics to personalize Flipboard, and get the latest stories from the best publishers and experts delivered to you 24-7. Used by millions of people every day, Flipboard is how people move themselves and the world forward. Get started now at Flipboard.com. That's Flipboard.com. This is episode 29 of the Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in-depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. All right, everybody, welcome back. Maureen, how are you? I'm great, honey. How are you? I'm doing well. Another week, episode 29. Can you believe it? Yeah, it feels good. We're like well into 2019 now. I mean... I mean, like, it's not like, oh, the new year was yesterday. It's like, we're in it. We're in January. It's middle of January. I feel pretty good about my goals. I feel like I've been... It's January 10th. That's not the middle of January. We're one third of the way through the month. I feel solidly into 2019, everyone, so... Have you made the mistake when you're writing the date on the paper? Have you written Not since it actually turned 2019. Oh, maybe like the first two days. Did you write accidentally write 2019? 2018. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) He's looking at me like he's saying the right thing. But he's not. What did I do? I don't think I did that either. But then again, I don't think I've written the date out that many times. So there's still plenty of opportunity for me to mess up. All right. What are we talking about, honey? Give me some snack bags. I'm feeling hungry. I need some snacks. Well, before we get into that, let's just, uh, we're going to talk our marquee topic this week. I don't want to tell people. I don't want to tell people. I don't want to tell them. Our marquee topic this week is going to be all about the Golden Globe Awards that happened last Sunday. And as you might remember from the snack bag last week, Maureen and I did our predictions of seven of the categories. I'm very sad to report that both of us did very terribly in our predictions. We absolutely stunk. Maureen predicted two out of the seven correctly, and I predicted two out of the seven correctly. Were they the same two? No, they weren't the same two. You picked, we both picked Christian Bale to win. That was a pretty safe bet. Yeah. And then you picked Alfonso Cuaron to win Best, Best Director, Director, and I picked Rami Malek to win Best Actor. Oh, I remember that. It was an upset when you picked it, and it was an upset in real life. Yes, we're going to talk all about the Golden Globes in just a little bit. But first, since you're so hungry, Maureen, nom nom nom. Snack, snack, snack. Let's jump into the snack bag. Just a couple of fun stories from this week. It's been a little slow. I'm not going to lie. The beginning of 2019. It's been a little slow. The first thing I should say is that there is no Oscar host. They've decided to go with no Oscars host. Oh my gosh, that's real? They decided? Well, Kevin Hart has come out and said he will not be hosting the Oscars, despite the fact that Ellen, did you see this? That Ellen was trying to campaign for him, but you know, it didn't work. And he said, I will not be hosting the Oscars this year. And the Academy has reportedly not reached out to anybody else. So there, uh, there will be no host. I think this is my prediction. On January 10th, I'm making this prediction that there will be an opening number 
And my guess is that they're going to ask Lin-Manuel Miranda to either write the opening number or to perform it. I, I can't think of a better year for him to do it because he's in a movie that might be nominated. So that's my prediction. But there is going to be no official host. So we'll have to see how that goes. I'm going to guess not well, but who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Honey, I'm going completely off topic here. Quick aside, you recently saw Mary Poppins. I did. And I saw it over the Christmas time break. Yes. What did you think of it? Speaking of Lin-Manuel, that was the segue, everyone. He's in it. Overall, I thought the movie was very enjoyable. It's a very escapist film. It makes you not think about what's going on in the world, which is really nice. I thought Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins was excellent. I thought the movie overall was fun. The music wasn't super memorable, but there were a couple songs I really liked, and... The biggest criticism I have was that Lin-Manuel Miranda's part was completely pointless. Like, they could have done without him. I mean, I don't think he was pointless. I think he was cute, and he was... I mean, he was the Dick Van Dyke of this movie. Yeah, but he he didn't need to exist. He he provided no forward movement of the plot. Well, did Bert in the original? I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it. I also liked it. I thought it was very sweet. I cried, like, four or five times. It just reminded me of childhood. Like, it reminded me of the beauty of seeing life through a child's eyes. And it made me want to do that more for myself and for our son. And I also really liked Emily Blunt. I still have a soft spot in my heart for Julie Andrews, but I thought Emily did really well. The movie is really worth seeing for those who have young ones and for those who are young at heart. The three kids in the movie were oh really cute. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. And they were really good. Yeah. I liked them a lot. All right, honey, snacks. I'm still really hungry. Snack bag, hit me. So the first thing this week is that the song Baby Shark. Yes, we're talking Baby about- Baby Shark, do, 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 do. Baby Shark, do, 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 do. We are Baby talking shark, about Baby do, Shark do, do, again do, do, do. because shark. just recently- Podcast okay. Shark, do, do, okay. do, 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 do. Very you good. You can just substitute anything you want and just keep singing it forever. Baby Shark made its debut on the Billboard Top 100. This song came out in November of 2016, at least the most popular version by the Korean band Pinkfong. It has over 2 billion views on YouTube. That's because kids keep making their parents play it on repeat. Yeah, and over the past week, it's been streamed more than 20 million times. So I'm, I'm very happy to report that we have not had to stream it once in the last week. Our child seems to have moved on from the song. Yeah, he prefers La Vaca Lola instead. Which is a Spanish song about Lola the cow. I've seen it being played know. at weddings now. Oh, as like gosh. the like, everyone on the dance floor. And I think I would have to be like incredibly intoxicated before I would be willing to dance to it. Because we have danced to it so much at home for our child. But it like really, as adults, I don't think so. It really has taken on a life of its own. But it is shocking. It, it uh, came in at number 32 on the Billboard Hot 100. That's amazing. I mean, we're talking about... Good for Pink Fong. That's what I have to say. Rake hope, in those royalties. I hope they're making their royalties. We're in our next snack bag topic here. This is something that I found so peculiar, but after I read who it was about, I wasn't as surprised, but Gwyneth Paltrow recently remarried. She married Brad Falchuk, who is the co-creator of Glee, with Ryan Murphy. Did they meet when she was a guest star on it? I think so. I think she that's was my met. favorite guest star ever. I had that song. She's she covered CeeLo Green's F U and she called it Forget You. That her version was literally like my ringtone for a really long time. I loved it. So I think they did meet while she was on the show. They just got married and they went on their honeymoon, which is very exciting for them. However, who did they bring? They brought both of their children. Cute. So Apple and Moses. 
And Gwyneth Paltrow also brought her ex-husband, Chris Martin, of Coldplay. Wow. Uh, what? What what is that about? Yeah, I mean the article basically goes on to say that they when they split up they had a conscious uncoupling, so it was not termed as a divorce. Josh is rolling his eyes, but I actually like the concept of this because basically what they did was say, We don't hate each other, we don't want to be married anymore, we're gonna do it in the nicest way possible, remain friends as much as possible and like stay in good spirits with each other for our children. And they have managed to do it in ways that I don't think anyone ever has before. So I agree. I thought that this headline, I was like, what is this? But when I found out it was the two of them, I was kind of like, go you, Gwyneth and Chris. Isn't it just weird, though? It would be so weird, regardless of whether you It's weird to bring your kids on your honeymoon, too. They should have probably just taken some time. It seems more like a family vacation. Yeah. I feel like if you were like, oh, we're going on a family vacation and bringing our ex, that's less weird. It's definitely less weird. It just seems like no matter how amicable your separation is... To go on what's supposed to be the most romantic vacation you'll ever go on and bring both your kids and your ex, it just seems very strange. Well, I think the only reason this is confusing is because we're putting a lot of our own previous understanding, like our own weights into the words of honeymoon and ex-husband. But if you redefine those words to vacation and former partner, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's less Okay, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. I think in the traditional sense of the word, it's all kinds of weird. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh, but I will say one thing. Since their separation, Gwyneth Paltrow has referred to Chris Martin as, quote, like a brother, end quote. That is so weird to me. They were married. They had a romantic relationship. He cannot possibly be like a brother. That's just strange. But Gwyneth Paltrow, she's with her whole goop thing. She's kind of gone off the deep end. Yeah. Also, and my sweet brother is listening. Hi, I love you. I still wouldn't want to take my brother on my honeymoon. Sorry. Sorry, Kev. No, definitely not. That would be weird. But I would take you on a family vacation. That'd be fun. Maureen, let's jump into our marquee topic for this week. We are going to do a deep dive into the 2019 Golden Globe Awards that aired this past Sunday night on NBC, hosted by Andy Samberg and Sandra O. Oh. So the first thing I want to talk about is... What were your overall impressions of the show as a whole? So not necessarily the winners, but was the show enjoyable for you? Yeah. I um, So for me, the show is tied very closely to the hosts, which I know is another thing you want to talk about, but I think I just have to merge them. Sure. The show overall, as any of these award shows, are kind of snooze fests um, because it's like, okay, we're going to the next one. Witty banter, witty banter. Someone makes a speech. And if the witty banter is really funny or the speech is really moving or funny or outlandish or whatever then the show can be enjoyable but the the award show in general like the format is just kind of like I kind of have to be doing something else at the same time that being said I really liked Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg I think Sandra Oh was for me the part that really like made it special first of all she looked absolutely stunning she was wearing this like red I don't know if it was a jumpsuit or a dress but like blazer cut at the top and Andy Sam they paired really well together Sandra and Andy and they did I just, she was so genuine and he was also really funny. I think he's a little bit more of a professional comedian, obviously, but I just thought that she brought an, a like new fresh life to the host gig. It was a little long at the beginning, their opening segment. Yeah, their shtick. It was funny, but because both of them, because neither of them are stand up comedians who tell jokes specifically for a living, it felt a little bit like. Okay, we could make this a couple minutes shorter. The whole gist of it, you guys, was that they were 
insulting people and they were roasting them by really giving them compliments. Like, yeah, which is a, you are so attractive. Which I is would, a, you know, a shtick that Andy Samberg has done before at celebrity. Oh, I didn't roast. know that. Yeah, which it, 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 I think it works. It's funny, but that went on for a little bit too long. But I think overall, I have to agree with you. I thought they were both pretty charming. I think the best review I saw of their performance was that after the show was over, you neither had a much higher view of them, but you also didn't have a much lower view of them. So it's not as if they did anything to expand their careers immensely, but they also didn't do anything to harm them. So you liked them as much as Yeah, they were pretty just who they were. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they were pretty good too. What did you think of the opportunity for Sandra Oh to make some more poignant statements? So during the opening monologue, she did have a moment where... She basically said, you know, I had to people ask me why why I took this job to be one of the hosts of the show. And she said that I couldn't pass up this opportunity. Did you think that landed well? Yeah, I mean, and she was she went on to say, like, this is change, right? She's an Asian American. She's, you know, a woman. She's, you know, representing these groups and she's hosting and that's change and change starts now and that kind of thing. I thought it was really well said. It was very poignant. I don't necessarily think it fits in with like the host's normal stuff, but I think she had a right to do it because that's why they picked her. They picked her because she represents those groups and because she's an amazing actress and because I think they wanted to give representation. I think the only thing that was weird about it, to your point, is that right before she, she went into something that was really important to say, Andy Samberg sort of set it up with a joke and... Even in the room, you could tell people were not sure where she was going. Someone even started laughing during the beginning of her little speech because they weren't sure whether it was another joke or if she was actually saying something sincere. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would know another way to do it. I think putting a really sentimental speech in the middle of host shtick, you kind of have to do it with a joke and just kind of... You're going off script, basically. And I think they did a good job of it. I think she had every right to do it. And I personally, as a viewer, liked how she showed that it was emotional for her. And there were a couple of times, because spoiler alert, she later went on to win an award. There were a couple of times where she got, you know, emotional and choked up. And I personally, as a viewer, liked seeing that side of her because it made it more meaningful. Maureen, I know that you loved getting grades when you were in school. So if you had to give a grade, so A through F for the hosts, what would you say? I would say A for effort. Okay. And like a solid B, B plus. Oh, interesting. I was going to go B minus overall. I thought they were good, but nothing spectacular. Let's talk a little bit about the winners from the night. So we'll talk, well, let's first talk about the TV winners and then we'll talk about the movie winners as well. So the big winners for the night were the Kaminsky Method, which is a Netflix show. And then on the drama side, the Americans won best drama series. I've talked about on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of The Americans. Maureen has not watched that show. Only because Josh told me I wouldn't like it. So now I'm thinking I maybe would like it and should watch it. He just didn't want to wait for me. It's all on Amazon if you want to watch it. But the one I want to talk about is The Kaminsky Method because this is a show that is created by Chuck Lorre who created Two and a Half Men and The Big Bang Theory. And he is a very, very successful person in Hollywood. I tried to watch this show. I got about 20 minutes into the pilot, and I just did not like it. Okay, but honey, do you like Big Bang Theory? No, I don't like... Do you like Two and a Half Men? No, I don't. Okay, so... But 
the show has a lot of pedigree. I mean, it stars Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin, and I just thought that there would be something about it that I might like, but it just didn't, it just, to me, it wasn't that funny. And I think part of the problem was that I watched that show after we watched the show Barry, which is an HBO show. And while they're not the same show by any stretch of the imagination, both shows have scenes, major scenes set in an acting class. And I think I was just automatically comparing the two shows. And Barry, for me, is a far superior show in terms of its writing and its execution. I think this just may be like a taste preference. I would love to hear from listeners, you know, who do prefer and really enjoy Two and a Half Men and or Big Bang Theory, what you think of the Kaminsky method. Because it may just be like, you know, because, for example, like Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm are not some people's cup of tea. It just may be that Chuck Lorre, like his formula isn't doesn't resonate with you, but it may with other people. It so, was really interesting to watch him accept the prize. I saw it described as him holding the Golden Globe was looked like him holding his firstborn child. Like he never thought he would get it get an award because his other shows while they've been wildly successful you know in terms of popularity they've never been awards show shows so i thought that was really interesting the other big winners for the night on the tv side were maureen already mentioned sandra O oh winning best actress in a drama series for killing eve i thought well deserved she's very good in that show yeah she's awesome and then rachel brosnahan winning for the marvelous mrs Maisel for the second year in a row she's also very good in that show i don't like when people win two years in a row for the same thing. okay maureen please explain why you don't like this because, because it's basically like they're doing the same movie and it's it's just a continuation it's not a new character it's the same character i used to think this too but and I used to get really annoyed when Julia Louis-Dreyfus would win every year for Veep. But then I started watching Veep. She, yeah, she's she won amazing. She won six Emmys in a row for that show. And I used to be like, can't someone else please win? But the level of talent that she brings every season of that show is just undeniable. So I started letting that go after I watched the show. So I get it. I mean, it it's not the same it's not the same movie. Yeah, no, I know. There is, There are new challenges every year. Well, and it's basically saying even doing the same thing as she did last year, she's better than anyone else in this category. Okay, let's jump over to the movie side of things. I think this is where things got a little bit wacky on the evening. And for people who follow the award circuit very closely, there were a lot of negative reactions to some of the winners. So specifically, people were beside themselves with, two categories in particular. I think most people were okay with Alfonso Cuaron winning, winning for Best Director. I think people were okay with Roma winning for Best Foreign Language Film. I think most people were okay with even Rami Malek winning Best Actor in a he drama. He was good. It was an upset. Well, for us, but he was great. He was great. I think the two that people were talking about most that we can spend a little time on, one that I was genuinely shocked by was... Lady Gaga losing Best Lead Actress in a Drama to Glenn Close for a movie that I've read multiple places is very hard to even find. Like, it's not, it's you can't rent it. It was barely in theaters. So I I was just shocked. Not, not, not at all saying that Glenn Close isn't a good actress because she's been nominated for six Academy Awards. She is clearly one of the best actresses 
around right now, but I, Maureen and I talked about this on the show last week. I thought this was Lady Gaga's award to lose, and she did not win. I was genuinely shocked. Yeah, and I think, at least for me, I was sad for her. It was more that I was just like rooting for her because I love, I personally loved her performance so much. Neither Josh nor I have seen Glenn Close's performance. In The Wife. The Wife. Yeah. It, it's like, Which what was even... something like 20 years she was attached to this film before it got made. I remember that being in her speech. Yeah. Something like that. She did give a great speech, by the way, about how women need to have an identity beyond just being a wife and mother. And she felt that it was important to portray that in this film. I thought that was great. Her her acceptance was, was wonderful. It was just, they seated Lady Gaga in the very yeah, front she row. Was, she and Bradley Cooper were both like on the stage practically they were front and center and so for bradley to lose twice and gaga to lose twice although she won for best bradley song. lost three times what? he lost best picture too oh. which is the other one we're going to talk about in a second I really want him to win something at the oscars so i think that the conventional wisdom is that the golden globes are not a bellwether for the oscars this isn't necessarily going to predict what is going to happen to the oscars the golden globes as i mentioned last week has a voting body of 90 some journalists and the oscars has a voting body of over eight thousand people so it's certainly by no means a direct correlation between winners but it was certainly an upset so the other big one that i want to talk about was for best drama maureen and i talked about last week we thought for sure was going to go to a star is born and instead it went to bohemian rhapsody which maureen and i have seen both of those films and I think A Star is Born is just a better film overall. We both really enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody. It was it was fun to see in theaters, but there's been so much criticism around the film that I was surprised that it won this big award. I think the biggest criticism has been that because two of the members of Queen were heavily involved in the making of the film, that they sort of readjusted the story to make everybody seem a little more heroic. For their own story so they conveniently moved things around in the timeline of the history of the band and created drama where there really wasn't i think the biggest one was that in the movie it's portrayed that freddie mercury left the band to pursue a solo career which he did in real life but in the movie it's presented as a real slap in the face to the rest of the band and they can't believe that he would leave the band but in reality, almost every member of the band had solo projects, and he wasn't even the first one to go off and do his own solo project. So they make it seem like this big inflection point in the film where the band is breaking up, he's going to go do his own thing, and then they come back together for this great performance at the end of the film. But really, that didn't happen. They were, while they did separate for a little bit to do their own things, they kept recording together. They just didn't go on tour quite as much. And I, I'm okay with that in terms of like presenting a film, but to present it as the true story of Queen and Freddie Mercury, I could see why that's problematic. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I really liked Bohemian Rhapsody. I really liked Rami Malek's performance. I do think, and it's not Rami Malek's fault. He's not a singer, but it was hard for me that he didn't sing it on his own. I think if he had sang it, as well as acted it, I would have been like, no one can touch him. He's he's best actor by far. Whereas, weird, Bradley Cooper did sing it and did act it. And obviously, totally different. I mean, Freddie Mercury was a real person and Bradley Cooper was portraying someone who was fictional. But I just, I don't know. I just found Stars Born so moving and their performance is so moving. It'll be interesting to see what happens at the Oscars. One thing that I should note is that one of the stats that I was reading about 
best actor winners is that it has happened very rarely that a best actor winner has directed themselves in a mm. role and it hasn't happened since roberto benini in life is beautiful oh my gosh that which is a great movie and a and a great performance but it's unlikely that an actor can direct themselves to a best actor award so it'll be while he'll certainly get nominated i think at this point that's a that's a foregone conclusion i think it'll be hard for him to win the award especially well, hopefully be- gaga comes through at least we will see the other thing about Bohemian Rhapsody that I wanted to mention is that there is this big elephant in the room when it comes to the film in that no one made a single mention of the director of the film because of the behind the scenes controversy with Brian Singer who directed the movie. So what happened was he directed about 60% of the movie but had a lot of issues on set where he was not showing up and they would miss entire days of production. So the studio fired him about 60% of the way through. They replaced him with someone else who didn't end up getting director credit based on the Directors Guild of America's rules for how a director is credited on a film. But it's just been really awkward because in almost every speech that an act for an actor or a best picture winner, the director is either thanked or front and center. And in this one, it's just so strange that he's not, I mean, not that he should be mentioned. One might say that Rami Malek directed himself. He did not. Into a best actor role. <laughs> no, he did not. Though. I mean, win. <laughs> he did not. So that's, that's been really strange. It's, it's going to be really weird if the movie wins big awards at the Oscars and there's no director thanked. It's just, I mean, most people who are in the weeds about this know the details, but for those that don't, they're going to be like, "Did who directed this movie? It's really weird. Let's talk a little bit about your favorite or best moments. Best moments, hands down for me, was when Sandra O won her award and her dad and her mom were there and her dad stood up and was clapping. And when she saw him, she started crying and she went, oh, daddy. And I was weeping like a little child. It was adorable. That was great. I think that my other favorite moment was the introduction of a new Lifetime Achievement Award. They've had a Lifetime Achievement Award for film for a while, named after Cecil B. DeMille, which this year went to Jeff Bridges, and his speech was all over the place. He, he finished strong, but it was rough for a while. Yeah, it was very positive, and you could see why he seems like a, a, a fun guy and a nice guy, but... It, it's like he knew he was getting this award and didn't prepare anything to say, which was really weird. But the other award that they instituted last week was called the Carol Burnett Award for Excellence in Television. And the first recipient was Carol Burnett. She had a great speech. She was super winning at the age of 85. And I just thought it was a We a should all be so little, lucky little to be moment. as spry and with it and funny and generous she was just yeah she was great i saw some reactions after the fact that said does anyone ever have to win this award again can it just be her (laughs) receiving the carol burnett award for excellence in television every year so i thought that was a really a really fun moment this week we had a slew of nominations come out for their various guild awards the directors guild the writers guild the bafta awards which is the british equivalent of the oscars and as expected, the front runners through the whole season have been nominated a lot again. So you're seeing a lot of 
Roma, you're seeing a lot of A Star is Born, you're seeing a lot of Green Book, which we didn't talk about this week because Maureen and I haven't seen it yet, but we are going to watch it soon. And I think we might, there's been so much about that movie that's been out in the press. I think we might do a whole marquee topic just Mahershala talking about Ali that. won. Yeah, he did win for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. But I want to save our discussion for that movie after we watch it because I think there's a lot that we can dig into there. So the Oscar nominations will come out in early February. Beale and then Street we'll have... too. We didn't mention that one. We're going to watch that one as well if Beale Street could talk. Yes, and that did win... Best Supporting Actress for yeah, and her Regina was King. Great. Yeah. So we'll talk more about Regina King and Mahershala Ali once we watch those films. Yeah. Anything else? No. Uh, not snack bag. I'm very full. Ate a lot of snacks. Uh, teasers. Time to move on to teasers. Do Honey, I have to... a good one. I want to go. I want to okay, go. Maureen, you kick it off this okay. week. So I'm very excited about my teaser. It is a new Netflix series called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And for anyone who doesn't know her, she is a Japanese organization specialist who wrote the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I listened to the audiobook, and it basically tells you to go through your house, like take all of your clothing Put it in one place. Go through it. Touch each item. Does it spark joy for you? Does it make you feel good? If it doesn't, thank it for its service and out it goes. And she has different organization techniques, but that's the basic premise. And now there's a TV show and it's awesome. I watched the pilot. I really liked it. It's about a couple with two kids and a whole bunch of crap. And it talks about how to how to organize themselves, but you'll see that it at least they talk about it really benefits their marriage and their family and both of their like states of mind. So I highly recommend it. The second episode starts off looking a little bit like hoarders. So we'll see. But the pilot episode, at least, I found very moving and motivating. I thought it was really sly of Netflix to release the entire series on January 1st. So anybody making New Year's resolutions to declutter their lives could go right to their show. We did that. We've already read the book, so we know about Marie Kondo's method, but I cleaned out a closet last night. It felt really good. My teaser for this week is a show that has been on the air for five seasons so far. It's kicking off its sixth season tonight, the night we're recording this on January 10th. It is called Brooklyn Nine-Nine, created by Dan Gore and Michael Schur. Michael Schur has also created shows like Parks and Recreation and The Good Place, which I've talked about on this show before. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a really, really fun show. It's about this group of people in a precinct in Brooklyn, in a police precinct. And it's just a really great ensemble comedy. It's super lighthearted, but has a ton of diversity in the cast. It has really great and funny storylines. The show was canceled by Fox last year after its fifth season aired. But NBC, which actually produces the show, picked it up for an 18-episode sixth season which airs tonight. So if you've never seen the show, I encourage you to check it out. It's really fun to watch. It's all on Hulu. And if you are caught up, be sure to watch the premiere. I think that will do it for this week. Maureen, thanks so much for jumping on with me. Thanks, honey. Thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for jumping on to the podcast. Thanks for jumping on, listeners. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and we would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing the podcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday. And if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.
we are recording. <laughs> Guys, Joshua, <sighs> sorry, everyone should know. I that. was about to do the intro. Well, I need to tell everyone that you just woke up from a fully in bed under the covers night nap to do this. I didn't sleep for that long. It was maybe 20 minutes. Okay. I was tired. I had to rest my eyes. <laughs> 